0: Well, good morning, everybody. Good morning. Welcome to our brand new series. It's all good. Uh, I think a blessing for absolutely every single one of us to simply catch your breath. Doesn't that sound like a nice thing to do? Just to catch your breath. Ever do ever do that? Just right now. Just if you want. Just just take it all in. For every single one of you our St. John's campus, our Alma campus, everyone online, and in Mount Mount Pleasant. I think an opportunity over these next four weeks for God to utterly bless your life and uh, bless your family in a way where you can catch your breath a little bit. The funny thing about those three words, it's all good, is generally speaking, we say it when it's pure panic when we're you know, pulling out our hair and the car's broken down and the kids are pulling out of our leg and the dishes are not done and something's broken and you're not really doing the best and then you tend to respond, It's all good. Um, The sky is falling, the world is ending, it's all good. Um, I don't know why we say it in those moments because that's the moment when it's really not all good at all. Here's what I wanna do. I I wanna kickstart the series by introducing to you a few friends of mine. They are are fictional friends, but as you listen to me describe them, um, I bet you you're gonna be like, that totally reminds me of people that I know, uh, to some degree, or you might even say, that sounds a whole lot like me. So here's a few of my friends. I want you to meet Jess. She's single, she's in college, and despite having a little bit of church background, a little bit, not too much, um, at this age in her life, she's like, faith is just kind of shaky. I don't really know what to make of that anymore. And she's getting to an age where it's like, I kind of need to find myself. Where is my identity? I feel like that's maybe shifting a little bit. And it's like her whole life is in front of her, but she thinks like right now, now I just, I'm supposed to have all of that figured out and I don't have it all figured out. And that can be deflating for her. I want you to meet Bob and Barb. They are getting in around retirement age. They are still full of energy and they want to be active. They want to give back. They want to be a part of things. And certainly, like anybody, they're able to look back over their shoulder with a little bit of regret. Anyone can do that. Um, They can certainly look back at time spent on things that now they would say, you know what, that just didn't really matter. Money spent on things that they thought were important, but they were not at all, but they wanna finish strong. And they're looking at their kids and their grandkids, looking at their friendships, and they'd like to leave a mark and maybe even a sense of legacy. And then my old friends, I've known these guys for years, Fred and Wilma. Uh, they've got a few bumps and bruises in life. They're both on their second marriage, and so they have a blended family, which means there's a bit of house swapping going on with the kids in custody, depending on you know, what kid is where, but they do love their kids, but man, it's a busy house. It's a busy, busy house. Um, for all of my fictional friends, to some degree or another, they have been or they are currently chasing what is simply known as the American dream. And they are chasing what everyone is really chasing, in that they work hard, they work a lot of hours. It's nothing that they'd probably say out loud, but truth be told, yes, they would like a nicer house, a bigger car, a newer wardrobe. They would like to go on a cruise and go skiing, He's a bit of a gadget guy and she likes a bit of jewelry. They'd never say that buying a new iPhone makes them happy, but when they put one in their hands, it makes them happy. But they know that doesn't last very long because then there's another new iPhone. And they want nice things for their kids. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that, right? It's okay, that's what it means to be a good parent. And so in their quiet and subtle pursuit of those things, They're not quite sure how this has happened, but slowly but steadily, they have amounted a little bit of debt. Actually, it's a little bit more than a little bit. But you know what they were able to do? They refinanced and they rolled some credit cards in, and they have a better payment, so that feels a whole lot better. But actually, that was a little while ago, and they're not really sure how this happened, but now there's new credit card bills, and they've kind of mounted as well. They don't really like to talk about it, because when they talk about it, they fight about it. and They don't want to fight. It's just not worth it. It it feels like a bit of an ominous, invisible weight, this sort of stress that's unspoken, and actually, when Fred thinks about it, he just gets angry because he works hard, and it should be okay to have a few nice things, right? What's wrong with that? But they keep fighting about it, and he knows, he knows that he's got his head in the sand, but he doesn't want to think about it. Fred and Wilma have put on a few pounds in recent years, Getting up and down the stairs takes a little bit more huff and puff than they remember. They'd like to exercise, they know they should, it's good for you, but the problem is, they're just too busy. They're too busy, there's just so much going on. Too tired at the end of the night. Most evenings food is deep fat fried, it's fast food, it's drive through food. Groceries and cooking and dishes, who has time for that? That's a luxury that they don't have the bandwidth for. Besides, nobody's complaining about the food. In fact, they love the food. Fred gets a bit of heartburn. Wilma has some bad skin, some digestive problems. Ah, it's all such a bother. But they're on the go, four kids. One plays soccer, but that went straight into basketball. Two of them are traveling with a hockey team, and then there's the occasional play, there's the occasional robotics team, there's cheer, and there's sleepovers going on. How are you? How are you, everybody? There's only one answer to that question. How are you? Oh, I'm busy. Oh, you're busy, oh, we're busy too. Every member of the family has a phone. Every one of them, to some degree, are addicted to their phones. And at a rare moment where they actually sat around the kitchen table, Wilma looks up at every member of her household. And in a moment, she can see that every single person is sitting there, smiling, typing. A blue tint on every one of their faces. What Fred and Wilma won't tell anybody has a few cracks in the marriage. It's beginning to show. They fight, but sure, doesn't everybody sex is hit or miss most of the time it's not close it's not fun they've begun to bicker about little things more and more and infatuation is long gone just look at him sitting there in his lazy boy living for a friday he doesn't want me He just wants a beer and he wants to watch the game and he never listens to me and he doesn't pay attention to me and I don't feel beautiful and I'm not fitting into my clothes and I don't have friends and I wish I had friends and I need friends and I'm lonely and I want to connect but the kids need more attention and he needs to step up because the eldest is going down the wrong road and I don't like my eldest friends and I'm worried and I'm stressed and I'm trying to keep it all together and I'm not happy and somehow I have to hold it all together and she sits there as she's wallowing in her thoughts and as she does so, the, the baby starts to cry. He's sitting in his lazy boy. She better see to that baby. There's no way I'm getting off this chair. I'm done. I'm done for the day. She's always annoyed with me. Nothing I do is enough. I just want some space. She doesn't respect me, she doesn't appreciate how hard I work to pay for the things that she has, and I'm tired, and I just want a bit of quiet. Why doesn't she just go out with her friends? Why didn't she do that? All of her friends, she should go out with them. I'm fine, I don't need anybody, I'm a guy. Just let me be. And Fred will never admit this to a living soul. But deep down inside, he's actually struggling with depression. Fred and Wilma are overcommitted, overstimulated, overextended, overscheduled, they are relationally disconnected. They are addicted to screens and sugar and salt and alcohol and caffeine. They are addicted to doing. They are addicted to producing. They are production machines. They spend money that they do not have to buy things that they do not need, to impress people that they do not know. They have debt for things that they had to have, that right now, if you ask them to find the thing that they had to have, they couldn't even locate it. Fred and Wilma, and Jess, and Bob, and Barb, you're listening to me today. And you believe in God, and faith is important to you. But here's the thing you're in such a hurry. There's so much frantic activity in this quest for more and in the noise and in the stimulation and in the debt and in your ill health and tension and distraction and stress and preoccupation and the hours that are worked. And although that you would claim that Christ is of greatest importance, you do not hear from him and you do not serve him and you do not spend time with him. You do not enjoy your God. You do not learn with him and from him and you do not abide in him. Church. I say all of this to you because you matter. Your life matters. And the way you live your life, it matters. It matters to God. And for so many of you, You will never become the kinds of parents that you want to. You won't build into your children. You won't serve the poor. You won't engage in needed confrontations. You won't speak words of affirmation and love. You will not be generous. You will not share the gospel. You will not do great deeds. And it's not because you don't believe in any of those things. It's because you are exhausted. Because if the evil one cannot get you to deliberately disobey and defy your God, then he will make you busy and unfocused and exhausted. Either way, you miss out on God's will. Either way, you fail to become the kind of person that God has called you to be. And you find your heart is growing smaller And that your spirit is withering and that your sense of joy is evaporating and your ability to appreciate awe and wonder is disappearing and you're slowly turning into this person that the life is getting squeezed out of and you never, never, never intended it to be this way. The leadership of this church several years ago spent about nine months praying and fasting and meeting and seeking the Lord and discerning the voice of God and from that came our mission statement which is quite simply this leading people into a focused life with Jesus Christ at this day and age in our culture in central michigan it's huge there are many things that are going on in our culture in our society that certainly needs god's healing touch but there's very something, There's something very current about what I'm describing to you today, because anything, anything, anything that takes the place and priority of Christ, and that usurps Christ in our lives, and pulls our direction away from moving towards him, anything that falls under that is called idolatry. And you might be thinking to yourself, wait a second, I'm not walking in here, you know, bowing down to some crazy looking idol statue with incense and and chanting. No, it is idolatry of another kind with another face. But at this local church, we want to lead you into a focused life with Jesus Christ. So without apology, we believe that Jesus Christ is the foundation and compass of our lives. Amen, church? And so we will look to Jesus and we will preach Jesus and we will worship Jesus and glorify Jesus. We will study Jesus and we will honor Jesus and we will love Jesus and we will speak the name of Jesus. Next week, if you come back here and we're talking about Jesus, don't be surprised. (laughs) 10 years from now, if you come back here, you're like, man, I can't believe it on the same subject matter. Yep. Incredibly, incredibly. That very person that I'm talking about, Jesus Christ, addressed this very exact subject that I've described this morning. One day, he tells a story about a farmer who goes out into a field and sows seed that lands on four different kinds of soil. The first one, it fell on the path. And in Jesus' parable, birds came and grabbed the seed, snatched it up, ate it, and flew away. Gone. Gone. The second one, it fell on kind of a rocky place where the soil was very shallow, and so the seed grew, but when the sun came up, it scorched the plant because it had no roots. The third one, it fell where there were weeds and thorns, and it grew up, but then the weeds just took over and choked the life out of it, and it didn't yield any grain at all. And then the last one, it fell on good soil, and it produced a phenomenal crop and the disciples didn't understand the story and so afterwards they go to jesus privately and they said hey jesus that story what does it mean jesus explained it to them. he says the farmer sowing the seed it's it's god's word into your life god's voice god's direction his leadership his guidance over your life god is showing you that you can actually miss it did you know that that God can speak, and you can miss it entirely. You don't hear it. You don't get it. It's like you're there, but you're not there. It's like you're there, but you got nothing out of it. It's very, very possible. Imagine there are people listening to me right now, and you've taken the time and effort to... Get out of bed and get dressed and come in here and maybe bring the kids or whatever it is or invite your friends and you're here and it's possible that you can listen and walk away and not get a word of it. That's very possible today, right now. Jesus says that exact thing in the story. Mark chapter four, verse nine. He says this, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. What are you saying, Jesus? The inference is, You can somehow be exposed to the voice of God, and yet you're spiritually deaf. Is that you? Is it me? Unable to lay a hold of what God is speaking to me. Really specifically, look at the words of Jesus as he describes and explains the third soil in the story. Verse 19. The seed cast in the weeds represent the ones who hear the kingdom news, but are, look at these words, they're overwhelmed with worries, and all the things they have to do, all the things they want to get, the stress strangles what they have heard, and nothing comes of it. You know what that sounds like? That sounds like Fred and Wilma. The ESV, same verse, puts it like this But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and they choke the word and it proves unfruitful. Remind you of anybody? Reminds me of me. So, God, what would you say to us? What would you say to your children today? who are stressed and overwhelmed and overstimulated and over over challenged and over committed, where your word, it seems like it's getting choked out and we're not able to hear because we're so preoccupied and stressed and worried, the sky is falling and we keep repeating ourselves with gritted teeth, it's all good, it's all good, but actually it's not so good. For those of us who are distracted by noise and hurry, to those of us who are living in the weeds, quite literally, what are we to do? Well, honestly, I would ask you not to miss a week of this series. I think God is going to speak into your life if you have ears to hear him. I think he's going to bless you. I think he's going to bless your family. I think he's going to bring change to the way that you live your life. But here's what I want to ask you to do. By way of obedience to God's word, I'm going to ask everybody here to create a to-do list with Jesus. And I'm also going to ask you to create a to-don't list with Jesus. I want to lay that out for you. Mark chapter 6, verse 31. Here's your to-do list. Then because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat. Sound familiar? He said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So this week, I wanna invite you to a to-do list. And I wanna put four things on your to-do list. And if you're thinking, you're adding to my to-do list? You're actually gonna love this to-do list. Four things, and even if you just do it once, it'll be great. I actually did this yesterday, and I did it the day before, and I loved it. So here's your to-do list. Number one, come with me. That's literally what the passage just said. They didn't have time to eat. Jesus looked at his disciples and he said, come with me. I'm gonna ask you this week to just be and spend some time going to God. Number two, to a quiet place. I did this yesterday. (laughs) It was fantastic. Turn off your phone. Turn off Netflix. Remove the distractions that you know will come knocking on the door of your brain. Find a place that's quiet. I heard of a story from many, many years ago, a lady, she had 15 children, 15 children, and she would be in her kitchen, and she had an apron that she wore, and she would take the apron, and she would put it over her head. And the 15 children knew, don't mess with mama right now, because she's spending time That was our quiet place. I hope you can find a better one than that, but if not, it's an option. Number three, rest. I did this yesterday, it was so cool. I loved it. Take a deep breath. Check out this word, sleep. Some of you are not sleeping enough. You go to bed too late, you're undisciplined. You wake up too early. You think you have no choice, but you do. Take a nap. Some of you right now, this afternoon, you need to go to your husband or your wife and say, Pastor told me that God said (laughs) I have to take a nap. What is your husband or wife going to do with that? (laughs) Throw an apron on them. Number four. Number four. So those three things are in the passage, but here's this last thing I want to add to this, and it's a question. What great thing? What great thing? This is your to-do list. Ask God, maybe while you've gone away to a quiet place to rest, somehow in that moment, just ask him this question. What great thing? God, is is there a great thing that I could do for you? Is there a great thing that I could do today or this week or just in general in my life? I I want to be about great, things. Just a moment ago, we talked about great things going undone, parents not becoming the kinds of parents that they want to be, not feeding the poor, not engaging in, in, a, in encouragement and love and care. You just don't do these things because you're exhausted or tired or unfocused or it's unmanageable for you. God, what great things would you have me do? Can I put food into somebody's hands? I would love to do something. Man, I'm sorry, but that is a great thing to do. Amen. I mean, you think about all the trivial things that we do in our life to feed somebody. That is a great, great thing to do. God, these things matter. What are kingdom of God projects? And I'm telling you right now, when you do those things, you will never go to bed saying, man, I really regret that I did that. You just won't. Whether they are big or whether they are small and the only person who ever sees it is you and God, it still is a great thing. Now, doesn't that sound great? But here's the challenge. Probably around 99% of those of you who are listening to me are thinking, God, yeah, that, that sounds great. I'd love to do that. I'd love to sit still. I'd love to be quiet. I'd love to rest. I genuinely would. I, I'd love to do great things. Here's the problem. You just won't do it. You just don't do it. All right, then, what, what does it look like, Pastor? what am i supposed to do am i supposed to just you know fold my legs and close my eyes and think about nothing how about this today tomorrow this week you're going to stop physically stop immediately you're going to have to fight this urge that you should be doing something that you should be productive you might even feel guilty that you've just stopped. That's how how bad this is. And uh, you might just need to go to God and say, God, I need to give that to you. I feel like I can't sit still. I feel like I should be accomplishing something. God, can I give you that? And then I I would just encourage you to just sit still. And I know this is a vague term, but I want to say it to you anyway. And just begin to know God. Like, God, I just want to know you. Maybe take a deep breath. And I dare you, for a minute or two, don't say anything. Don't pray anything. You don't have to read anything. Just sit with God. Just be with your Father. And be quiet. And give your thoughts to God. And then I would encourage you, after a moment or two, to talk to your Father like you would talk to a friend. Hi, God. It's me. I'm so sorry, it's been a while. Maybe you want to thank him for something in your life. And then maybe pick up your Bible and read a verse or two. You don't have to read 10 chapters, you don't have to read three books, you don't have to learn Greek. Just read a verse and say, God, please speak to me. Here's your to don't list. Two words on this. The first word is very negative entirely. No, everybody say no. No. (laughs) That was very negative. (laughs) Please say no to something this week, this month. Have on your radar a healthy, godly no. It's okay to say no. You don't have to constantly be carried away Carrying multiple weights and burdens and problems and solving multiple problems all at the same time You don't have to take on another project You may want to help everyone who has a problem or a need, but check it out newsflash You can't help everybody you just can't and you don't have to help every person who comes to you and we struggle with that But let your no be no The second thing is the chopping block I want you perhaps to share a conversation with your husband or your wife or your friend or your dorm room friend, sit down with somebody that you know and trust who cares about you and ask them, okay, is there a commitment in my life that I no longer need to have that commitment in my life? I can deliberately remove that commitment from my life. In fact, I would encourage you to do that about once a month. God, what peripheral unimportant thing is clogging up my life and it's unnecessary and actually it's taking the place of great things in my life there's this illusion that we live with and here's what it says i don't have a choice about the way my life is running If your life is exhausting and unmanageable and out of control, well, that's not my fault. There's nothing I can do about it. That's because of pressure on my life. That's my parents. That's my job. That's my school. That's exams. That's deadlines. That's numbers and quotas. That's family. That's financial pressures. Can I just say this to you? No. You are responsible for your life. And if your life is getting out of control, No one else is going to fix that for you. No one is holding a gun to your head as you go through your life. And if your way of life is damaging you, damaging your heart, damaging your soul, no one's going to magically wave a wand and make that disappear from you. All the time, we say yes and we say no to financial commitments and relational commitments to how we spend our time, to television and media and job opportunities and family requests and interruptions. We say yes and we say no to these things. We have actually enormous power, but we live under this illusion that my life is not chosen by me. And Jesus himself was the master of this. Look at this in Luke 4. At daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place the people were looking for him. Can you imagine this? And when they came to where he was, he tried, they tried to keep him from leaving them. Look at that. I'm leaving everybody. I'm going to be by myself and I'm going to a place that is isolated where no one else is going to be there. I'm deliberately going to do that. And they all went looking for him. And then they found him. They said, everybody come. And then when they got him, they're like, you're not allowed to leave. We're going to keep you here. They brought him more sick bodies. They brought him their agendas. They brought him their itineraries. They brought him unsolicited advice. Heal us, Jesus. Heed us, Jesus. We will direct your steps, Jesus. And look at Christ's response. He simply said, no. There were other things that were demanding him to be and go and do, and he opted for a greater thing. Same verse, but look at the end part of it this is what Christ said. They tried to keep him from leaving them, but he said to them, I must preach the kingdom of God to the other cities also, because for this purpose I have been sent. I would love for you to live a life truly and honestly focused on Jesus Christ above anything and everything else. Jesus made radical choices. Despite an enormous following, he made a simple lifestyle for himself that enabled him to stay accessible to normal people. He walked dusty roads just like anybody else. No chariot, no limo. He ate simple foods that simple people ate. He often stayed in the homes of friends to keep ministry expenses down. He kept his schedule flexible. He had a kind of an open door policy to people who were rich and poor, to powerful people, to forgotten people. And upon his death, he left no huge portfolio requiring trustees and lawyers, just a single earthly possession. And that was a blood-stained robe, the very blood that supplied your redemption and my redemption redemption that's all he left and you have to ask why god why would you do that why does the son of god accustomed to all of the perks and all of the privileges of heaven one who has all of the resources of heaven at his disposal why does he choose such an extreme level of simplicity in his life because jesus wanted to establish forever that people matter more than things that you matter more than busyness and accomplishments. This is what he's stating with his life, that a life of servanthood in the name of Jesus over an endless quest for more, 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 more money, more noise, more toys, more whatever. Now, I'm going to pray in just a moment, but before we run out the door (laughs) to all that is ahead of us this afternoon, this evening, and this week, This is what obedience looks like, to do, to don't. Hey, come with me, a quiet place. I want you to rest. I have great things for you to do. It's okay for you to say no, to don't to find inconsequential, time-consuming things, to find things that you are currently committed to that actually go on the chopping block, again, so that you are freed up to do great things. Next week, I want to show you one of the deadly enemies to your spiritual life, and it's really not what you think, and yet so many of us are caught hook, line, and sinker. And I believe that God is going to help you and bless you and change you and your family. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word today. Thank you that you would kindly address the reality of our lives, the weeds of busyness and being overcommitted. I pray for every Jess, every Bob and Barb, every Fred and Wilma that are listening to me today. Lord, I pray that they would have ears to hear and the wisdom to be obedient to your word. I pray that you would help us and teach us to sit still and to catch our breath and to simply be with you. Help us to set aside that which would occupy us, that has little or no value, so that we can find the greater things that you call us to. We pray this in the name of Jesus. And all God's people said... Church, I love you. Have a delightful, slow, enjoyable afternoon.